What up, world? It's Pass First point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Are you happy because you win or do you win because you're happy at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories? It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in this episode. Today's show is a special delivery mailbag episode. It is our second mailbag episode of the week. We have two mailbags these days because our initial mailbag segment, Mailbag Monday, got too big. So we had to make a second one. It's going to come uh, at a different time of the week each week, kind of depending on when the Blazers games are and when I do interviews and stuff like that. But today's is coming to you on a Wednesday or it was published on a Wednesday. I don't know when you're listening to this. It's the same deal as Mailbag Monday, though. To get involved, you can tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. It helps if you tag it as a mailbag or, or send a follow-up tweet letting me know it's a mailbag question. Or if you're not a Twitter user or someone who doesn't tweet, you can send me an email. The address is LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. That's two ways to get involved. We're going to do this every week. We're going to have two mailbags every week from here on out. Uh, I want everyone to get their questions in. If you have a question, I, I want it to be on the show, and I'm sure you do too. So instead of sort of picking and choosing and, and having people left out, we're just going to do two mailbags. This is how we're going to do it. We started doing it last week. We're rolling through it this week. It's here to stay. It's our special delivery mailbag episode. Let's get into it. The first question comes from Jonathan Sassy at Sassy on Twitter who asks, Nazir Little is 10 for 13 from three in his last five games, and his shot looks really good. It seems like this trend is getting buried in the noise of Dame's heroics and the current winning streak. You think he's developed accuracy from deep that will hold up. So yeah, as you may have guessed, this question from Jonathan Sassy is a little bit old because the Blazers are now on a losing streak. They've lost three in a row. I'm recording this game after they lost to the Denver Nuggets on a night where Damian Lillard just didn't look good. He just played poorly and the Blazers are just not equipped to have their best player play poorly and beat good teams. Um, it's, it's just not going to happen if, you know, Dame had 25, 13 and seven, but it was, he just, he didn't play well. If you, if you watch him play, he, he didn't play well. That said, before this, back in the time this question was asked, the Blazers were winning and Nazir Little was, was shooting it really well. Since since this question's been asked, though, Nazir Little only two for nine from deep for February, for the month of February. And we're closing in on the end of February. The Blazers are only going to play two more games in the month. Uh, he is, he being Nazir Little, is 12 for 22 from deep. Uh, and that is that is a heartening thing. But... If I had to guess, like, will this hold up? No. Like, even on even on low volume, the idea that somebody's going to shoot north of 50% and make more than half their threes uh, is just is, is unlikely, particularly someone who uh, was not much of a shooter prior to this season. But I will say this. Nazir Little's jump shot looks cleaner. It just obviously looks cleaner. And he's shooting with confidence. Uh, in the Blazers' sort of ugly blowout against the Phoenix Suns on Monday, I thought Nas was super, super, super aggressive in his in his minutes. He ended up racking up some garbage time points. I kind of ignore all those garbage time, um, pr- that production. We'll call it the Jake Lehman effect. But... Um, undeniable that he was productive in those minutes. So 
Yeah, I think Nazir Little deserves more more time. He deserves more more of a look. Uh, but he's you know he's still finding his way. He's not super consistent. He has his moments, and when he's good, uh, I would like to see him get more burn because he can play. And the thing that was the, the shooting was his big swing skill, right? Like if he's if he turns into a shooter, he's like a has real three and D potential. But he wasn't much of a shooter. Uh, and all young guys are bad on defense, so it's sort of hard to tell early on with that type of thing. Uh, but he's starting to look like a guy who might who might develop into a real shooter. Uh, I'd like to see him get some more volume up for the rest of the season and kind of figure out where he's at. But um, you know, twelve of twenty two in February means he's going to go on. He's going to miss some shots here coming up, so he's going to have a zero for eight streak. Don't don't send me a question if I'm worried about uh, Nazir Little shooting. That is called regressing to the mean, y'all. Next question comes from Peter, who asks. Lots of people have been recently saying, excuse me, lots of people have been saying recently that Portland needs an on-ball stopper if our defense has a chance. Nurk can be a very good rim protector, and Rocco one of the, is one of the best help defenders in the league. What who what do you think is the defensive potential of the squad if they could find someone to fill that role? Uh, hi, like that if if the Blazers had an elite on-ball stopper, I think they would jump up into that sort of um, the tier just below the the jazz and the LA teams. Like I think they would immediately jump right up there with the potential to knock those teams off. Like I think that's how close they could get. If, if we're talking like an elite on ball stopper and Peter, I know you are because the rest of your email says this. I had emailed earlier about a possible Ben Simmons CJ trade. As much as I love CJ Simmons, defensive boost would be a mass would be massive for us. It seems like Gary and Ant can cover the two spot competently. Philly desperately needs someone who can get them playoff buckets and CJ's game fits perfectly alongside Embiid. Obviously, that's a huge trade and probably a long shot. Are there other on-ball defenders you might think about instead? Um, so yeah, the Simmons-CJ thing's not going to happen. I floated this idea in the offseason back before the Blazers traded two first-round picks for Robert Covington. Now the Blazers can't trade a first-round pick until uh, until 2023. So it's... They don't have a lot of firepower, and the Sixers just wouldn't trade Ben Simmons for James Harden. And as good as CJ was to begin this season, he still wasn't James Harden's level. And Harden is, Harden is, you know, the greatest scorer of his generation, and CJ McCollum is the second best scorer on his current basketball team. So the Simmons thing's just not going to happen. It's it's a great, it's like the piece, right? It's it's the thing that um, he he seems to me to be the uh, mobile four who can pass, who could be a great pick and roll compliment with, with Dame. He's for my money, maybe the best perimeter defender, maybe the best, just for like full on versatility, most versatile defender in the league. He's really, really good, but the Blazers don't have the ammo and CJ is not enough ammo to get him. You asked if there are other on ball defenders that I might think about instead of DJJ. Well, how, how, how about I outsource this question? Someone like Christian, that's Ill Krill on Twitter, who asks, it seems like Ariza would be the perfect guy to help with the wing defense for this team. He played really well last season. Do you like the idea of the Blazers bringing him back if possible? I don't know if Trevor Ariza is going to play NBA basketball again. Uh, He is currently on the payroll and roster for Oklahoma City. Uh, I assume he'll be traded to in in some form or fashion at the trade deadline as the OKC wheels and deals and continues to rack up assets. Ariza's salary is such that it might be a little bit tricky to trade uh, for the Blazers to trade for him. The obvious sort of trade partner is is Rodney Hood, but the Blazers would still be. Uh, 
Blizzard would need to throw in another salary to make it work. And when you're throwing in another salary to to get a Riza, are you are you sort of punting on CJLB right away? I wouldn't maybe do that. I'm not sure the team would. Um, or are you you know trying to construct a larger trade and move off of uh, of Zach Collins or something of that nature or Harry Giles? Uh, is Giles and Rodney Hood for Trevor Reza, the best deal you can make. Like there's a lot of, a lot of considerations here. I, I like the idea of Ariza. I just think the, um, the specifics of getting a dude back making 12.8 million, who is like maybe no longer an NBA player, maybe, maybe sort of into forced retirement. Um, it, it's, it's trickier than just sort of like go get him. But yeah, I, I, I like the idea. He, he, he was useful last year. I think he'd be useful again. Next question comes from Ari, who asks, do you think Mello will finish his career with the Blazers or elsewhere? Ari, this is, um, I don't know if you meant to make this sort of intentional, but this, like, intentionally difficult, but this is like a more, this is a very challenging, basic question. Uh, so it's like, is is Mello going to play one more season? And is Mello, and if Mello plays another season, will he do it with the Blazers or elsewhere? If I had to guess... I kind of think that he'll do it with the Blazers because um, they've seemed they're really committed to just giving him a ton of minutes and a ton of touches in a way that I don't think other um, teams would. Uh, I do think he'll part of me thinks he'll play one more season, but I wouldn't be surprised after 18 years in the league if he calls it quits after this one kind of depends on. In some ways, maybe how the Blazers' season goes. Maybe he wants one more crack at like a, a real playoff run. Um, but again, like if he plays on a better team, he's just not gonna. He just won't have the role that he has. So, if I had to guess, I'll say he finishes career with the Blazers, and it finishes in July. In not July, I'm not gonna pick them to win the championship slightly in uh, May. But um, I don't know. Like, I don't, I, he seems, he's like just good enough to keep playing NBA basketball. He's not really good enough to like help a good team win games, but he's just good enough to continue playing NBA basketball if he chose. And like, does he want to go retire with the Knicks or something like that? I think there's a lot there. Ari, that's a, that's a tricky one. I don't have a good answer for you. I don't even have a very good feel for it, to be honest with you. Next question comes from Brooke, who asks, will Terry's Tots take away Ant's allowance if he passes to someone other than Mello? Joking. I love Ant and Mello, but I'm a newer basketball fan. So if I know Ant is going to always pass to Mello, everyone else knew it yesterday. Do you think this is part of the problem the Blazers have with the Wizards on Saturday or did Mello just have an off night? Well, I do think they give the ball to Mello a lot. And I do think there is some sort of like, you know, uh, Anthony Simons is 22 years old and Mello has been in the league for 18 years. Ant has literally never known an NBA that does include Carmelo Anthony. And I think there's sort of like, there's this sort of like weird deference that plays out on the court where Ant kind of just comes down. Melo knows that if he gets sort of like even moderately good positioning that Ant will chuck it into him because um, this is sort of like youth and vet type of thing, the dynamic playing out. But everyone, Dame included, gives the ball to Melo in spots that aren't actually advantageous, just like in sort of uh, because he's Melo or something like that. It's like one of the most frustrating parts about his game is that he actually can bully it. Like if he has a physical advantage in the post, he's pretty good. Like he's a pretty good post scorer. Uh, he's like, he's, I'd rather throw the ball into Mello in the post with an advantage than Nurk. 
Um, Melo's he's craftier. He's better at drawing fouls. He's, he's got better touch. All these things. But um, the Blazers just do it even, you know, at 17, 19, 20 feet when Melo like sort of has someone pinned or has someone pinned who he, he thinks he can get past and can't. It's it's bad news. It's bad news. Um, and Ant is certainly super guilty of it. I think the other thing with Ant is that he's not like a he's, he's not a super like intuitive passer with like a great feel so sometimes like he just wants to make a simple pass because if he doesn't make a simple pass earlier in the possession he can get caught pound 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 shoot pound 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 drive um and it's a sort of a way for him to like if he makes that early entry pass he can kind of like oh yeah i'm getting us into offense like he feels that feels point guardy to him even though it's not but like in general mellow even though mellow was awesome against the denver nuggets on uh, tuesday night he kept the blazers alive with an uh, with a really really good second quarter uh, the game was sort of slipping away and mellow mellow brought them back with just a mid-range onslaught um it's you know he he takes a lot of hard shots <laughs> it's it's uh it'd be better if there was it was in general it'd be better for the team if with lower volume mellow less mellow would be better for the blazers and that might seem a little mean but it's it is what it is he's 36 and he um he he just plays a certain way he he likes to shoot he gets the ball in the post and it usually goes up um it's uh it's hard to play through him because he's not um like a supernaturally team team player so when ant throws the ball into him you kind of know how it ends uh but yeah i don't think i don't think terry is gonna i don't even think terry calls those plays like he's not going to take ants allowance because it's not like terry calls a mellow post up he calls sort of like hey let's play in flow or hey let's run this little pick and roll action on the side and mellow says cool i'm breaking off this pick and roll and i'm gonna post give me the ball and the blazers usually do it speaking of tuesday's game against the nuggets you know who was fantastic in that game Derek Jones Jr. And that's why I'm naming Derek Jones Jr. the Ultra Player of the Week. Good folks at Michelob Ultra want to remind you that enjoyment isn't the end game, it's the whole game. And quite frankly, I really enjoyed Derek Jones's game against the against Denver. He had a season high Blazers high 18 points. Grabbed five boards. He was seven of nine from the floor. Hit two of three threes. Had three blocks, including a huge highlight block late in the game that kind of kept the Blazers' very slim hopes alive. This was as good as he's played offensively all year. He even had a drive to the rim where he finished, had to adjust, and finished in traffic. I'm not sure that I've seen him do that. I've seen him try to dunk in those situations and miss a lot of dunks, but the ability to adjust and and finish, um, it's just... Um, Derek Jones is bringing me a great deal of joy, and that's really what it's all about. You know what else it's all about? It's all about Michelob Ultra, because at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Are you happy because you win, or do you win because you're happy? That's Derek Jones Jr., our Ultra Player of the Week. All right. Lockdown Blazers, we've got you covered for all things Portland basketball. But you might be asking, Mike, what about the rest of the sports? Well, good news. The Locked On Podcast Network has you covered there as well with the new Locked On Today podcast. It's hosted by the great Peter Bukowski, and it's all the sports news you need every morning in under 20 minutes. So subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you already get podcasts. 
All right, let's keep it rolling with this special delivery mailbag episode. This next question comes from Salamator Longwood at Sal Longwood on Twitter who asks, is there going to be a patented Olshay midseason trade that saves the team this year, or is the team already good enough? If a trade does happen, who's the target? So so I don't think the team's already good enough. Uh, it kind of depends on what enough means. Good. There's a lot riding on the words good and enough in that question. But yeah, I don't like, uh, I don't think this team is, I'm laughing because I'm sure you asked this before they lost three games in a row and two of the losses are pretty ugly. I, the the Denver lost second night of a back-to-back. Like they played okay, um, but they played, they got shellacked in Phoenix and they did not look good in the fourth quarter against the Wizards, who have been playing a little bit better, but it doesn't matter. The Blazers look bad. I'm not excusing that one either. Um, but so uh, there, it's just funny how the sort of the timbre of these questions would change depending on when sort of I, I get, I ask for questions and I asked before the Blazers had lost a couple games and now I'm sure the timbre would have changed a lot, but yeah. So if I had to bet, yes, Neil will make a trade. Uh, he, it's what he does best. It's, um, he's typically made trades with guys on expiring deals who, and to either get back guys he wants to resign in the future, a la Rodney Hood, or that can be traded because of their contracts moving forward, a la Trevor Ariza. So yeah, I, I think I think it's likely that that a trade would happen. However, I'm not going to answer that question because I don't know if I knew if I knew that if I knew the target or if I had a if I had these grand ideas, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be podcasting. Also, it's not my this isn't my strength. My strength is to tell you kind of what's happening with the team, use my knowledge of the team to sort of explain what they want to do and try to put things in context. You know, cr- uh, crunching numbers in the trade machine is not what what I'm best at. But luckily. I got a whole bunch of listeners who crunch numbers in trade machine. So I'm going to, again, outsource this question to them. Uh, Like Adam, who offered some trade proposals for Thaddeus Young. Adam hit us with the three following proposals. Amphrey Simons and Derek Jones Jr. for Thad Young in a second round pick. Hell no, that's way too much. Amphrey Simons, Derek Jones, and Gary Trent Jr. for Thad and Lowry Markinen. Ugh, uh, gross. No. I'm hard no on that one. I'm not a marketing guy. I'm not, I'm just not a believer. Um, I love that young though. Love that young. Uh, more on that in a second. Adam, Anthony Simons and Zach Collins for Thad young in a second rounder. Hard. Hell no on that one. Also, listen, Simons, it's too early to give up. No, it's not even too early to give up on Simons. I think you, to me, Thaddeus Young is not quite good enough to give up on Simons. Not that I think Simons is going to pop and be a star. In fact, I think Simons is going to pop and be like an okay guard in the league. Uh, I just, I just don't see star. I see like contributor and like long-term NBA contributor, but giving up any package with Simons for Thad Young, who's, you know, 36 years old is just, uh, it just it 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 does it strikes me as um as sort of like a short-term solution that seems to address like hey the Blazers could use some help at forward while further depleting their dudes who can dribble and might actually help the team in the future. Um it's just Thad Young is good enough to to justify Simons for me so I reject all of these trades outright. However, Scott at Scott PTB30 has a has a Thad Young trade that I can get behind. Rodney Hood and Harry Giles 
and picks, whatever that might be for Thad Young. I think this is right in the wheelhouse. The problem is, and I think this is a problem that I, I first read in a story that John Hollinger wrote in The Athletic a couple weeks ago, and the more I think about it and just kind of look around the league, it seems just, it's, it is true. John ain't wrong. Um, there's going to be more buyers than sellers at the market. The way the standings are super bunched up in both conferences and with the play-in games now, so you could finish in 10th and still have a shot at the postseason, quote-unquote, um, there's just going to be more teams that are that are trying to buy than more teams that are trying to sell. Now, there should be a, there probably should be some teams who are sellers at the at the deadline, but I don't think the Bulls are going to be one. They they haven't made the playoffs in a while and I think they're going to make uh, a a serious push to try to get there and Thad Young has been really really good for them. Uh, he would be huge for the Blazers. He can defend, he can rebound, he can pass as a short roller out of pick and rolls when teams trap Damian Lillard. He's left-handed, he's super fun and I've loved him for a long long time he's my he's in my hall of pretty goods he's not quite in the hall of fame but he's just been pretty damn good for so long I love that young I'd love him on the Blazers I wouldn't love him if it meant giving up Anthony Simons so yeah uh Hood and Giles and some picks for young in a heartbeat but I think Chicago says no. Next question comes from Alex who asks if Miami continues to slide with Jimmy Butler being 31 and with Jimmy Butler being 31 and not getting any younger. No one get no one's getting younger, Alex. You can edit that one out of your email next time. Is there a shot they may be taking offers on him at the deadline? If so, do you think CJ and a couple firsts would be enough to get the deal done? I think if this trade was made, we would be legitimate title contenders. So this is interesting. Um I I really like the trade. I think Jimmy Butler is a big enough upgrade over CJ that that I'm not sure the Blazers are title favorites by any means, but they're really, really good all of a sudden. They're like right in the mix because of Butler's defense, his playmaking, his, um, his just, his, I don't want to say grit, but yeah, like he's just, he's, he's dude's tough as nails and really, really good. Um, I don't think, I think Miami probably should be sellers at the deadline because, you know, they were like sort of preparing themselves to sign Giannis Antetokounmpo and that's not going to happen. And now they're in this strange place and they're, they've, they've scuffled a little bit and maybe they could sell and like sort of build around BAM for, for the next version of this team. Uh, but the problem is that CJ McCollum is 29 and Jimmy Butler's 31. CJ McCollum is way worse than Jimmy Butler. Not way worse, but worse, like worse. Um, and he's owed money through 2024. So he's not super enticing to a team that's kind of like, let's go in another direction. Because your new direction is have CJ McCollum in, until he's 33 years old. So I, I think Miami says no. Um, again, the first round picks thing, you're trading a 23 and 25 first round pick. Um, you're really mortgaging the future for Jimmy Butler. I would, I would do this if I'm Blazers. I just don't think Miami does. Next question comes from Dr. J who asks, the Bucks are really struggling and may want to shake things up. We send, Dr. J sends over some trades here and, and I kind of cut this off. So here's Dr. J's trades. We send CJ and Rocco or Derek Jones Jr. for Middleton and DiVincenzo. Basically, we give the Bucks the scoring and shooting they need in the backcourt and a replacement for Middleton at the three. I would prefer Derek Jones Jr. While we get a better option at the three and we can go with four guards of Dame, GT, Ant, and Dante. Yeah, um... Pfft. 
I don't think the Bucks are going to do that, but I love it. I love it. Love this trade. Um, again, I just I don't think CJ has has a lot of trade value around the league, even though he was a ball in before he got hurt. Um, I think you know, obviously, small sample size caveat and and the the aforementioned large contract for four more seasons. Like I'm not. I'm just not a hundred percent sure the um I, I just don't think CJ has a bunch of trade value around the league. I do think maybe the Bucks would shake things up, but I think they'll do it in the offseason. Let's revisit this one because Chris Middleton is uh is a is sort of a dream get for um for the Blazers for me. But um he's maybe not as good of a playoff performer as CJ McCollum. CJ can score in the playoffs in a way that Chris Middleton has not been able to. And uh, I think that's always the concern when trading CJ is that he can go get a bucket in the highest leverage games. And there aren't many dudes who can do what he does. So if you do get rid of him, you really need to upgrade defensively. You really need to, you really need to have not much drop off offensively and make it a significant enough upgrade that it really works for you. Uh, Dr. Jason's over another note that I want to read that I think is actually pretty good for uh, someone like me who always talks about Neil's guys, quote unquote. Dr. J notes that it does seem that as much as Neil likes his guys, that only really applies to first round picks. As far as I can remember, none of the second round picks we have developed have stayed long term and all but one, Alan Crabb, were traded before restricted free agency. And Crabb didn't last long after signing the deal. Based on this, I would it would seem that Gary Trent Jr. would be gone sooner rather than later. In that case, second trade idea, Gary Trent Jr. and Rodney Hood and a first round pick for Aaron Gordon. So I, I would be interested in, in this trade. Like this, this really speaks to me. I would be, I would be, uh, if the Magic were into this idea, I think... I read, I believe it was in The Athletic reported by Josh Robbins, but it may have been uh, Zach Lowe. I wish I had this off the top of my head. That sounded like the asking price for Eric Gordon was multiple first-round picks, so they might not get it done from the Magic's end, but um, I like I like both of these trades. Dr. J, I think you are the first person who has ever sent me multiple trade ideas that I like them both. Congratulations. These are realistic. They seem within the realm. And in both cases, I think the team that you are um, trying to do a deal with re- rejects your offer. But uh, good work. And in, in any case, yeah, I think... Um, Neil has been Neil's first round picks are his guys that he covets and keeps and his second round picks, Will Barton, Pat Connaughton, even though not a pick, but he traded for him on draft night. Uh, Alan Crabb to some extent are, are people that um, he has said, let's develop you a little bit. Jake Lehman, same boat, develop you, make you get you turn you into an NBA piece and then let you go on your own because you're not part of the long-term plan. I think those the good note, good trades, Dr. J good email, you might be in the running for the old Ultra Player of the Week next week. Watch out, Dr. J. All right, let's come back in the third segment, close out the show with more of your questions. But before we get there, let's talk about Bill Bar. Y'all know Bill Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. If you don't know Bill Bar, it's the first time you've heard of it. Let me tell you right now, it's the best tasting protein bar ever. I say that because it's in the ad copy, but I also say that because I've never tasted a better, a better protein bar. Uh, I've dabbled in this world before. I've tasted a lot of dry and chalky and gross bars. Bill Bar's not doing that. They're coming at you with 18 amazing flavors, all covered in 100% real chocolate, soft and easy to chew. They, they got the candy bar-like texture. They're, they are great. Per, some personal favorites of mine, peanut butter, banana bread, carrot cake I really like. 
peanut butter brownie I like too. You you get my I'm a peanut butter and chocolate guy. So this is those are all money flavors for me. Um, if if the if the deliciousness doesn't sell you, how about this? They're all low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high in fiber. Delicious, nutritious. Go get yourself some. Go to builtbar.com. Use the promo code locked on. You'll get twenty percent off your next order. That's promo code locked on for twenty percent off at builtbar.com. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening to Locked On Blazers. And we're still rolling through our special delivery mailbag episode. Let's keep it rolling. Our next question comes from Eli who asks, You spoke after the loss to the Suns about Minnesota possibly hiring their right guy but doing it the wrong way. If the organization was to have a sweet deal come around and they decide to send a player like CJ or Nurk elsewhere, at what point in the process would they be made aware of it? Does Dame get to have a say beforehand? And what do you think the process is to do it the right way? Uh, So... I would guess if the Blazers were to would swing something that big, that d- if it were in season, I I I'm not a hundred percent sure Dame would have a say in it. He might get a little heads up. Hey, we're gonna trade CJ. It's gonna happen, but we're talking twenty minutes beforehand. Um, here's here's an example. Uh, Dame really liked Mason Plumley. They were homies. Uh, not like not super super tight friends, but like they got along really well. Dame really respected him. They had developed a a, a friendship, no doubt about it. But the Blazers were scuffling uh, prior to to the Mason Plumley trade, and they traded Plumley, and he came out on the court, or Neil, excuse me, came out on the practice court, and basically, and and they were mad at him, like dog, you're breaking up this team. You know, we had this special run where we won 44 games last year, made the second round of the playoffs. How are you going to do this? But the Blazers were bad. They were, you know, six or seven games below 500. And Neil basically said, you guys, like your struggles put me in a situation where I had to make this tough decision. And he kind of had to convince them that this is how the business works, that when you're not doing well, you have to, you have to take a chance. And at the time, what they were doing was saying, we're going to take a flyer on this young, this young kid from Denver, and we're going to get a first round pick and, We'll just make a do with what we have. They had no idea Nurk was going to be the player he was going to be. Uh, he turned out to be a franchise savior and really, really altered the direction of the franchise for sure. Uh, but at the time, this was a surprise that that Dame Dame didn't know was coming. Nobody knew was coming, and that Neil kind of had this moment out on the practice court at the facility where he had to be like, okay you you have to trust me but also i have to do the job because i have to make this team better not just now where you guys aren't good but more importantly for the future uh somehow he ended up doing both with the trade which i don't even th- believe he thought he was doing but sometimes you get lucky so i think if nurk and cj were going to get traded it would be one of those things where where dame might find out before others or maybe the he might hear just through the grapevine when when those guys are getting shopped in his agent hears one way or another but i don't think um, for those, for the in-season trades that he would be consulted, off-season stuff, I think he would be in the room and he would have a say, and they would, they would listen to him, and then they would be like, "Cool, I know we, you don't want us to trade your boys, but we're still going to do it anyways." Um, so I think the right process is some combination of letting Dame giving letting Dame know, but also like he can't have full control over personnel. He joked even uh, 
prior to the this season that if he was in charge of personnel that Sasha Pavlovich Sasha Pavlovich would still be on the team, which is an incredible self-aware joke by Dame. I loved it. But I mean it's true. Like he's just he's really he's loyal to a fault. So at some point you kind of gotta take control out of his hands. Um and 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 change up the roster for the better using using the strength that you have, which is a scouting department, analytics department, all the things that, um, you know, Dame is a really smart basketball mind and a really smart guy, but he, uh, you know, he's not connecting with the scouting department and the analytics staff every day to sort of like look who's available and look at future draft picks, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I, I don't think Dame, if it was in-season blockbuster, I'm not sure Dame would like sort of sit down and hash out trading CJ or whatever it is. But uh, I do think he would get a courtesy heads up. Next question comes from Dave. That's ATQ Dave on Twitter who asks, is there any reason for the Blazers to bring back Zach Collins? And if so, under what terms? He's always injured, not great when he plays. So unless you get a sweetheart deal, I just don't see it. So uh, the aforementioned Dr. J point about Neil's guy. Zach's definitely one of Neil's guys. He traded two first round picks up in the draft to get him. I anticipate Zach will be back on the roster next year, uh, but I can see your concerns, Dave. And let me advocate for the devil. The devil in this case being Neil O'Shea and the Portland Trailblazers. Um, they have a better sense of what Zach can bring than other teams. Um, Zach also just, he has obvious defensive instincts and a defensive feel that are very impressive for someone his young age or someone his age, someone as young, young as he is. Um, he's, he has to get on the court and play. Like he, if he, the, if he's not available, it doesn't matter, but they'll be privy to his, his, um, medical information that other, other teams won't. So they'd be able to make a more educated guess than, than other teams. Or, you know, even if the, if they, his agent or whatever, share his Zach's medical info with, uh, with other, with other teams, the Blazers will have had so much more time sort of with them to make their own analysis. So they will just sort of have more data on it. Um, you're not going to be signing him to, you know, a four-year deal. You're going to be signing him to like probably like a two-year deal or even a one plus one, kind of like a prove-it situation. Uh, he's young and can still get better. And the ideal version of of Zach is a rim protector who can also shoot threes and is somewhat mobile and, and really, really is the sort of type of defensive presence the team definitely needs. That said, he hasn't been that and he hasn't played in two years. So I can understand why you'd say, I'm, I'm ready to just move off it. Um, the, but those are the reasons you would bring him back. And I think those are also the terms you bring him back a short term deal, a one plus one or a two year deal with like a, you know, a partial guarantee in year two. So he has a chance to prove that he's capable of being an NBA player. And by that, I mean like playing 70 games, playing, you know, 65 plus games in an NBA season, uh, at a relatively competent level. So yeah, I, I, I think, I anticipate he'll be back because I just think that's how Neil does business. Um, but and I can see why the Blazers would say let's give him, a, you know, one more shot. And I can also see why you, Dave, would be like, "I'm over it. Screw it." Okay. Next question comes from Colin, who says, "In my opinion, the Blazers that made the Western Conference Finals two years ago was the best team. The Blazers team that made the Western Conference Finals two years ago was the best team in NBA history. Whose best." players are both under six foot four. Do you agree? And if so, do you agree that this team is the best team in NBA, best team in the M in NBA of all time, the best all time team 
whose best three players are 6-5 or under. In order to agree, you'd have to agree that Trent is better than Nurk, which in my opinion, he's proven. So yeah, I'm not going to give you that one. No, hell no, Gary Trent Jr. is not better than Nurk. Nurk sucked this year. Um, so hopefully he gets back and starts to unsuck. But uh, he he's just, he's a better basketball player than, he's more impactful basketball player than Gary Trent. Uh, just the defense is more important. The way he compliments Dame and CJ, or in particularly Dame is more important. He's just better than, he's better than Gary, more impactful than Gary. Um, Gary's, Gary's good. But the, but the first part of your question, very, very, very interesting. And Colin notes that, Dennis Rodman was better overall than Joe Dumars or the Bad Boys Pistons would be number one spot over the 2019 Blazers, of course. So I'm not super equipped to answer this question. Um, in 1991, I was three years old. So, and and I lived in, uh, in North Carolina. So it wasn't like even, I don't even have sort of like the lore of my childhood um, telling me about the 91 Blazers. Uh, that's, so... Most of my sort of information about this age is from, I've read a bunch of basketball books in my time because I'm a basketball dork. Um, you know, I've seen I've seen a, a whole bunch of documentaries on this type of stuff, and I've looked at the stats. I'm a nerd, you know, but but it, but I'm learning this second and third hand, right? I'm learning this not from primary sources or forming my own opinions, but from from these from these second and third hand sources, right? Um, as if the box score is like third hand. Uh, but so I, I kind of think that the common wisdom is that Dumars was better than Rodman, but Rodman was, you know, the league, the league's leader in rebounders and at least leader in rebounds and the defensive player of the year. Like you could make a good case. So I'll give it to you. I'll say bad boys, Pistons, that Lambeer and Rodman were better than Dumars when you look at their overall body of work. And so they, that, that doesn't count. But I, I'll throw another one out there because I think you might be right. I think you might be right that Blazers 2019 Blazers are the best team ever where their best two players were under 6-4. But I'll give you this one. 1973 New York Knicks who won the NBA Finals with Walt Frazier and Earl Monroe. So I might be disrespecting Bill Bradley and Dave DeBusher here, but... Um, you know, if I was three years old in 1991, you know how old I was in 1973. So while I would have never considered the Blazers, you know, best small guard of all, most successful small guard team of all time, with the, with the caveat that the two guys who are who are your six three guards have to be the best players, it rules out some sort of obvious uh, obvious other backcourts that you might pick because, uh, you know, Bill Russell was on those '60s Celtics teams. Some other uh, small guard tandems that I, or, you know, smaller tandems that I kind of considered when researching this question were Mo Cheeks and Andrew Tony on the Sixers, but those were not. Of the 83 Sixers, those are like the third and fifth best players on the Sixers, right? Um, they're, they're certainly not the best two players. Uh, I wonder how tall we think James Harden is. Like, he's bigger than Damon CJ. He's certainly, like, built like a tank. Um, so he's he's bigger than those dudes. Uh, but... You know him and Chris Paul in in, in that same season were, were very 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 good, uh, and certainly the best two players in their team. But I think James Harden six five and, and and doesn't count. Uh, other names the the eighties Bucks with Sidney Moncrief and Paul Pressy. Shout out to Phil Pressy, former Blazers uh, training camp standout. But Paul Pressy was like that 
eighth or ninth best player on those on those Bucks teams. You know, Marcus Johnson was way better. Junior Bridgman was way better. Even Bob Lanier, shout out to North Carolina's own North Carolina high school stud Bob Lanier, uh, was like you know, 36 or 37 on those teams. And he was better than Paul Pressey. But that's like a, you know, that's a name to know. Those are names to know. Like, and if you're looking at like sort of dominant small backcourts. So I threw him in the mix. So my gut says that it's, it's, it's probably still the bad boys Pistons that, that Dumars and Isaiah Thomas really were, you know, points matter. And those were the really two best players. And, and, uh, this is just like sort of Portland bias against, against that particular era of Pistons, which I totally appreciate. But, um, Colin, this is a really interesting one. I, I'm thanks for sending me down this sort of rabbit hole of best small guard tandems of all time. Um, it, I, I found it really fascinating. So, um, this was a good one. Maybe, maybe the 2018-19 Blazers were the greatest, the greatest team ever led by two guards, six foot four and under. That's gonna do it for this special delivery mailbag episode. We're gonna do two mailbags each week. Ain't nothing changed. Uh, I'll still call for questions on Monday morning on my Twitter account at Mike G Rich. But you don't have to wait for that Monday morning solicitation. You can just send me uh, a tweet whenever you're thinking of it. Or you can email the show, LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Mailbag Monday stays the same. Recorded on Monday nights, posted on Tuesday. Special delivery will kind of move throughout the week depending on uh, when games are and when, when it works best for sort of the the logic of the schedule but i enjoy these mailbags they're a lot of fun they're a good way to mix things up i hope you enjoy them too like i said tweet at me send me an email those are the two ways to get involved we'll keep these rolling out also tell your friends about this podcast they can find it wherever they already get podcasts just search locked on blazers we'll be there waiting for you appreciate you listening talk to you soon